welcome to Mentality Meets, conversations that explore mental health stories and strategies to help leaders like you change the culture of mental health in the workplace. I'm Peter Larkham, and today we're talking with the inspiration that is Andy Bishop. Having struggled with his own mental health since 2012, Andy has managed to get to a place of speaking openly about his journey. Today, he talks about the bear hug he was given at Brighton versus Saints football match, and he encourages us all to speak out, listen up, and do something if you have a concern. So here's my conversation with Andy Bishop. My name's Andy. Um, I'm the founder or creator um, of Mangang. Uh, Mangang is a peer peer support group set up for men um, who might be struggling, not not just with mental health issues, um, but with anything that life throws at them. So we, we provide mutual support to each other um, on a weekly basis on, on the Zoom platform um, and at our face-to-face meetings. Andy, what I wanted to, to talk with you about is, is your mental health journey. Because Mangang is is kind of the, the tip of the iceberg, really, uh, to a whole history of, of journey. And on the mental health training that I do, we often talk about mental health journey, because we all have mental health, the good, the bad, the ugly. But we're all on a journey. And I want to ask, when did your mental health journey, I suppose, start? When did you first become aware that you were struggling with your mental health? And were you aware of your mental health before you were struggling? I was first aware of, of my own difficulties with my, my mental mental health um, back in 2005. Um, at the time, I was serving serving uh, as a soldier in the Royal Engineers, uh, and I was employed in a in an instruction uh, instructor's post. So I was training trained soldiers to progress further in their career. So I, I was literally at the top of my game uh, in the rank that I was at at the time. And I I had a bit of an incident, and I got sent off to see the doctor. Doctor told me I was I was depressed. Uh, he looked at all the symptoms. He looked at all the bits and pieces that I presented to him, uh, and he sat sat in front of me in his uniform, and I sat in front of in front of him in my uniform, both looking back at each other, seeing seeing soldiers, seeing this these stereotypical tough people, and he looked at me and said, "Mate, you are depressed." And I looked back at him and said, "No, I'm not. Look at me. I can't be." It doesn't happen to people like me. So he he prescribed me antidepressants. He gave me two weeks worth of sick leave, um, and I walked out of the walked out of the surgery there, threw the prescription in the bin, took the two weeks sick leave, and went went back back into work. So about fifteen years ago was my first first instance of knowing about mental health. And the next question, which I have for you out there, is um, when did you become aware of your mental health journey? Were you aware of your mental health journey just because you were aware of it? Or was there a time in your life when you started to struggle with your mental health? And that's what made you aware of this thing. Because I'm certainly aware of my physical health when it doesn't work. You know, that muscle that you twinge that you never even knew you had until it started to hurt. That kind of thing. But Andy, coming back to you and the, the kind of conversation around the man gang and the conversation with the doctor that you had where he said, you're depressed, and you just kind of fobbed it off and went, yeah, whatever. Kind of prescription in the bin, back at work two weeks later. What for you became a catalyst that suddenly kind of 
brought all of this to the forefront and became something that you became aware of that you needed to look after better? To cut a very long story short, over the over the next 10 or 11 years or so, I had various various interventions and every one of them got a little bit worse than the, the, the one I've just described to you. One of them culminated in me uh, spending just over two months in a psychiatric unit where I was diagnosed with, with suffering from bipolar affective disorder. And that, that kind of helped at the time. That kind of helped for me to put kind of a label on, on some of the things that I'd done in the past. And it kind of, I was able to look back at my history and, and say, oh, that's why that happened. That's why this happened. But what it didn't, what it didn't give me was things to do looking forwards because I was of this, this, this opinion. And we, we spoke about this earlier with, with physical injuries. The doctor says, go and do your stretching exercises, go and go and do your um, your mobility kind of exercises. You pull the muscle or something. And we walk out of the doctor's surgery and we carry on just doing what we, we normally would do. And I did exactly the same thing with my mental health. I was still serving in the military and mental poor mental health didn't happen to people like me. That was the the, 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 the vision that I had of all of my male role models throughout my life. They were all tough, resilient people. And I couldn't be suffering from, from mental health. So the kind of catalyst for, for, for me kind of doing, uh, actually looking after myself happened relatively recently. I left the army in 2012. 2012 was a bit of a tumultuous year. Uh, I, I had a job lined up. Uh, I was going to be working with the Olympics. That fell through. And I sat, sat applying for jobs um, for about six months, plenty of rejection, very little value to society. I was okay financially, but do you know how hard it is watching the family go off to work and the kids go off to school in the morning and then sitting there trying to fill your day looking for jobs? And with every rejection, my self-esteem, my place in society was going down a notch. So I, I made this decision to go and kill myself at, at Christmas time that year. Clearly, clearly didn't work. And I made a pact with myself because I was on I was on all kinds of medication. The bipolar medication, I was on mood stabilizers, antipsychotics, antidepressants. I was on various sleeping, sleeping medication. I was seeing counselors, I was seeing therapists, I was getting CBT, but just turning up for the appointments when I when I say I was getting it, I was I was taking their time, but I wasn't applying any of my time to it. But all of that was supposed to stop me from doing what I I, I went out to do in the, the, the New Forest that night. So when I came back, I made a pact with myself. I stopped all of my medication, cold turkey. Now, don't do that. If you are taking any mental health medication, please don't stop that. Cold turkey is not advisable. Um, somehow I pulled it off, but I made this pact with myself. I was going to get bigger, better, faster, stronger, every single thing that I, d- I do. And I did. I, I really did for the next five years or so. I was way out in front. Nobody was capturing me. I, I got into employment. I was the first person in the office in the morning. I was the last person to leave in the evening. I'd never take a break. I always had deadlines to meet. I was always, always busy. I, I used to go out cycling two or 300 miles a week, and I considered myself a failure if I hadn't hit that target of 200 miles a week. Nobody was telling me to do it. I was putting these these impossible things on me. And I thought I was winning at life. What I was actually doing was focusing so so much on moving forwards 
that I wasn't looking at the trail of destruction that I was leaving behind with my friends, my colleagues and society in general. So in 2017, that whole mission wasn't sustainable. I couldn't keep that going uh, and the inevitable happened. I had a bit of an incident at work, which resulted in me going to see an occupational health psychiatrist. I went to see the, the, the psychiatrist and I sat in her, her office and she, she said, right, I'm going to sign you off for six weeks, six weeks. And I looked at her and I said, well, that's just stupid. What are you, what, what, what are you going to gain out of me not being in work for six weeks? What am I going to do with myself? And she said something really profound and re this really, really stuck with me. And she said, do you watch, watch movies? I said, yeah, of course I do. She said, I've got you down as a kind of an action movie kind of guy. I said, yeah, I, I, I do like a good action film. She said, um, so plenty of, plenty of gunfire, plenty of explosions, plenty of, plenty of action going on through the, through the film. I said, yeah, that's, that's, that's about, about right. She said, uh, have you ever been disturbed while you're watching this film? And I'm thinking, where is she going with this? She said, where, where, have you ever been disturbed? Has the postman knocked and delivered a parcel? You've got to leave that, leave that film where it is. She said, what do you do? So I said, oh, I, I stopped the film. And she said, and where does it start again when you go back to it? I said, well, where I've just left it. She said, right. She said, you, all you're doing by not accepting and not doing anything with your mental health conditions is pressing the pause button on the movie of your life. She said, when you go back to work after this six week, week, weeks off, if you haven't started making changes, you're going to press play. But one thing is going to, going to change. She said, that explosion that was imminently going to happen is going to get bigger and it's going to get more impactful. And that really resonated with me because it kind of resonated on all the instances I've had going backwards. They had all been more powerful than the, the, the one before. So I was on a journey of, journey of self-destruction. So I've signed off work for, for the six-week period. That got extended and extended and extended. And then something, something happened to really test me. One of my closest, oldest and dearest friends, military friends with four days left to go in the army, decided that he was going to end his life. And now one of my coping strategies that I use is, is I, I look for a silver lining in everything. And I take a silver lining out of my mate's suicide. And that sounds really wrong. So the silver lining that I take out was that it brought, brought our, our circle of friends closer together. We'd been, been apart for quite some time. We started talking. And the power that, that was held in that, that circle of friends, we got each other through the initial stages of grief by, by talking to each other and being there for each other. And that was so, so, so powerful. And a couple of things happened at the, uh, at the funeral. He got, he got um, his funeral took place in Germany in the middle of July. So it was a, a beautiful summer's day, middle of July, and there's about 500 people from all over the world turned up to go, go and pay their last respects to this man. And I, I remember being overwhelmed by emotion during the, during the funeral, as, as, as is normally the case. There's two emotions that, that, that really st what stuck out to me. The first one had no place at the funeral at all. And it happened at the graveside. And it was at the moment when the bearer party was undressing the coffins, they're, they're folding up the flag, taking the medals to present to the widow. And... I was standing in a position where I could see my friend's son. And I was also standing right next to a, a speaker from the PA system that the German Padre was using. He was using a microphone to, to talk. It's 
particular moment, as they moved away, the Padre had taken the microphone and he placed it down on the chair next to where young Liam was sitting. And I was looking and I was listening at what was coming out of that boy's face. And the pain and the torment and the, the, the anguish that was etched into that boy's face, he was, it was horrible. It was horrific to see. And the, the noise that was coming out of that speaker, barely discernible muttering of this boy just muttering, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I looked at that boy and I heard those noises and I sat there and I stood there and I, I hated everything about my mate. I absolutely hated everything. I couldn't understand how he did that to us. Couldn't understand how he did that to that kid. Couldn't understand how he did that to his wife. Couldn't understand how he took that, paid that ultimate sacrifice. And I'm glad to say that emotion was short-lived. So a bit later on, we went back down to the, um, the German beer garden. Again, beautiful summer's day in the middle of July. Very nice place to be. If anybody's ever been to a military funeral, you know they can get quite raucous, quite, quite messy kind of affairs. Lots of beers being drunk, lots of toasts being raised, lots of stories being told, lots of lots of men standing around in circles saying, do you, do you remember this? Do you remember when we did that? Do you remember when he did this? But remembering the good times. And I took myself out of the, out of the situation for a minute. And I was watching what was going on. And I was overwhelmed then with another emotion. I don't even know if it is an emotion. I was just totally confused. I could not understand for the life of me how there was 500 people there raising a glass to this man that come from all over the world that loved him so much that they'd, they'd make that, that sacrifice of their time to pay their last respects to him. But he felt he couldn't reach out. And that really kind of, kind of played on me for quite some time. So what that taught me during that period was my levels of emotion. I experienced the grief at the right levels. It raised to, to the pinnacle. And then as I got better at coping with it, it started to, to go down. And I thought, Do you know what? I'm getting better here. So fast forward a little bit then. I was back in work. And I was working at the time as a health and safety trainer. And I was, I was training a lot of people from the construction industry. So the construction industry is very, very similar to the, um, to the military in, in that it's a bastion of male-dominated macho culture. Uh, and I was teaching a, a five-day site management course. So these, these are guys that have been in the industry for a long time, all tough guys in their own right. And um, whilst I'd been away, the accrediting body had shoehorned in a bit about mental health. So there was a, a, a part in the course, um, it was on day four of the course, and I had a little bit of time to spare, that my employer had put a whole, a whole PowerPoint slide in this, this five-day course on mental health into the into the syllabus. And I had half an hour to fill before lunch. So I thought, do you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the mental health bit. So I found the slide, looked at it, thought, nah, that's not that's no good. Turned the projector off, pulled the stool out, sat there, and I told my story to these guys. And I remember thinking at the time, I'm about to get things thrown at me. I was getting ready for the onslaught of pens and things getting thrown at me. I was getting ready for the, the onslaught of abuse and ridicule that these guys were going to give me. So I positioned myself at the door, ready to run away for lunch and escape because I thought, yeah, they're not, I've lost all respect. Everything's going to just going to go now. And um, it didn't happen. To a man, they shook my hand, they hugged, they, they thank you. Because what I'd done was, by exposing my vulnerability, I'd made them become aware of potentially their vulnerabilities. And that was, yeah, that was a really powerful moment. 
this is amazing, Andy. Um, and I, I just want to kind of sit and just kind of lap up your story because what you're what you're touching on is the reality and the rawness of the the feelings that you've been experiencing, the journey that you've been on, and getting it to a place of you feeling able to and comfortable to then share your story uh, in this place of kind of 20 odd other construction men uh, and I've been in those rooms and those are fairly scary rooms to to be at the front of uh, and to to kind of give of your vulnerability in front of that must have taken an awful lot of guts uh, and I'm so glad of the response that you got during that kind of like the, the handshakes and, and all that I want to tell you about a video course I made called Mentality. It's a one hour mental health video course delivered by me. It gives you the need to know essentials to spot the signs of poor mental health and take action. So here's what other people have said about it. Maria said, I was surprised how it made me think about myself and even my friends and family. Patients feedback said, Mentality is eye opening. It helps you support someone to get the help they need, perhaps potentially saving their life. James's response says, it was the best course I've been on. I had the attention span of a gnat and I was gripped for the whole time. You see, poor mental health is devastating so many people all over the world. And yet, despite a general recognition that there's a problem, very few people know what to do. We miss the signs of poor mental health. Or if we see someone struggling, we don't know what to do. And that's where mentality steps in. It's the need to know essentials on how to spot the warning signs and take appropriate action to respond. All packaged together in a digestible one-hour video training course for your workforce. It's designed for everyone, because every person, whoever you are, can be affected. To access mentality, simply visit www.mentality.work. That's www.mentality.work. Click on enroll, add your details, and enjoy. Mentality. Spot the signs and take action. So, Andy, I want to find out how does this kind of move on to, to you where you are today and the, the man gang that you have set up and, and created? To get there, I think I need to tell you about something that happened in, um, in Brighton, of all places. I'd um, gone to watch a football match down in Brighton a couple of weeks after this um, this particular training course. For whatever reason, we parked up at the wrong side of the stadium. I found myself in the wrong area of the uh, the ground. So as a Saints fan, walking through with red and white, I stuck out like a sore thumb with all the blue and white of the Brighton supporters. As we were walking through there, myself and my, my partner, I became very aware of this big Goliath of a man lumbering towards me. And you could see he was making a beeline towards me. And I thought, well, at the football, I'm about to get, I'm about to get a big thump to the side of the jaw here for being a, uh, an away fan. But as he got closer, I was conscious he had a big grin on his face, big, huge grin on his face. And once he got right in front of me, he threw his arms around me and hugged me with the biggest bear hug I've ever had in my life. And whilst we, he, we were in this, this kind of embrace and I think my face would have been a picture. I think I was a bit bit shocked at this embrace. In my ear, he just said, thank you. And as he as he let me go um, and I moved back, I was like, I recognise you. And I, uh, he was one of the guys that was on that course. 
he'd been there on that day when I'd gone rogue and decided to, to open up. I said, what are you thanking me for, man? He said, if you hadn't told your story on that day, he said, I wouldn't have told, I wouldn't have spoken to my missus. I wouldn't have spoken to my, my boss. I wouldn't have spoken to the doctor. And I certainly would not be in this good place that I am now. So he said, I'm internally grateful to you. And I thought, wow, that's some, that's some powerful stuff right there. And that's when I first started toying with the idea of, of forming this, this, this man gang that, that we created. So fast forward a, a, a little while, I, I sat back and procrastinated and prevaricated about starting it for a while. Um, life was getting in the way and stuff. And then all of a sudden, I, I thought, right, I'm going to start it in January 2020. And this was in September last year. So I put a post on LinkedIn. Put a post on LinkedIn saying, I'm starting a men's mental health peer support group. Didn't even have a name or anything for it at the time. Anybody got any helpful hints, tips or advice? And I was overwhelmed by the response that I received. But they were all negative. The market swamped. You've got no professional qualifications. Who? What gives you the right to start doing things like this? And I was just like, wow, what is going on out there? But there was one message, private message, and it came from a builder that I taught on a course previously. And in that message, it said three words, just three little words that were my call to action that day. He said, I need help. I was sitting on the couch while I read it. I looked at my missus. I said, can I use the coffee shop tomorrow? She said, what for? I said, I'm starting. I'm starting the man gang tomorrow. She said, I thought that was going to happen in January. I said, no, I need to do it tomorrow. And so that's why, that's why it happened. So that was on a Tuesday. Man gang started on a Wednesday. Um, I sat in the coffee shop, sat there alone. And nobody turned up. I came home. I said to my missus, yeah, um, yeah, it was, it was okay. Nobody turned up. At least I've tried. She said, you've got to keep on. She said, um, you didn't give it a chance. She said, publicize it a bit more and let's see, see where it takes us. You've at least got to do next week. So the next week I publicized it a little, little bit more. And the next week I had 12 guys turned up, 12 guys that never met each other, 12 guys that had never spoken openly about their, their mental health issues and problems and concerns before, um, all came in and we started that meeting with the same question that started this, this session of Mentality Meets this afternoon. I asked them, who are you? And the responses that I got, got were overwhelming. So since then, we've, we've, been, we've been going every, every week throughout COVID. We, we've moved onto the Zoom platform two or three meetings a week sometimes. But now we're back into COVID-secure kind of face-to-face meetings and the Zoom offering. And we've got over 450 to, to 500 men on the database at the moment that have walked through our doors and we've helped in some way. You're saying that now from that, that nobody on day one, 12 people week two, to now over 500 people internationally that are being reached and supported through Man Gang. And what I wanted to, to highlight was just a post that I managed to find on on LinkedIn I I kind of zoomed into it and it was just a thread and I hadn't kind of caught up with what the guy had said or anything but it was something you had said that came up on my feed and it said hold on in there we will get through this and I think that was just such a powerful kind of statement and something that kind of really rings true for man gang is kind of hold on in there we will get through this and there are three kind of statements that you use in man gang 
that I want you to, to share with us, just so as we can kind of wrap all this up in the next literally three minutes. So Andy, what, what is the motto of Man Game? So our, our tagline is, um, it's not weak to speak, because I always thought that it was weak. It was a sign of weakness to talk about my mental health. So it's not weak to speak is our, our, our tagline. But we've got a three-part strategy. A nice simple strategy is ask if you're living with it, listen if you're not, act if you know. And it's a call to action for anybody that might be might be struggling, that knows somebody that's struggling, that wants some help and advice or wants to offer support. So that's our, our simple, simple three-part strategy. Ask if you're living with it, listen if you're not, act if you know. In the conversation of Mentality Meets and all things mental health, what you are sharing, Andy, is that it is not weak to speak. And that's, that's another kind of thing which you constantly bang on about is that if you are struggling with your mental health, talk to people, your friends, your family members, work colleagues, somebody, because so often we get to that place of total despair where we feel like nobody cares. And yet the real answer is that everybody cares. We just may not know that you're struggling until you begin to share with us. And so if anyone is struggling with their mental health who is listening into this Mentality Meets today, please, Don't be afraid to speak out, you know, and encourage other people just to listen to your journey and access the help and support that is out there and that is available. And that was Andy Bishop. What a powerful and inspiring story. So if you ever find yourself struggling with your mental health, please don't be afraid to reach out. The key topic for me is that it is not weak to speak. Next week, I'm going to be talking with Matthew Loins, and we'll be asking the question, does anxiety ever go away or get better? For 15 years, Matthew lived with anxiety, but he now says anxiety no longer defines him. Please also leave us a review on the podcast as it really helps to get the word out. And thanks again for listening to Mentality Meets, conversations that explore mental health stories and strategies to help leaders like you change the culture of mental health in your workplace. 